Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Chris Eidhoff. Chris is the founder of Objective CIO and is just a, an amazing, fabulous, well, you know, well-known rock star in the Swift community. I hope you don't mind me saying so. And welcome to the show, Chris. So happy to have you. Thank you for having me, Garrick. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy too. I'm happy too. It is 10 uh, p.m.-ish here in Los Angeles. I, I don't think I've ever recorded uh, this podcast at night. And, uh, you know, it was really hard for us to schedule this because yeah. uh, you are, you're in Berlin, correct? I am, yeah. So it's 7 a.m. here. It's nice and early and quiet. <laughs> yeah, and it's a nine-hour difference. So it's either, uh, you know, it's late for me. It's actually not that late for me, but, um, you know, it's pretty early for you. <laughs> and so thank you so much for uh, you know, being up early, although I guess, you know, you wake up early no matter what. So that's good. That was convenient. Yeah, I um, like I like waking up early. I My brain just works better in the morning. And then, you know, the the, the longer the day it takes, like the, the worse my brain works. So, you know, I try to do my important stuff in the morning. And um, yeah, then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, well, our, our natures are kind of convenient in that sense, because, you know, as you are, you know, good in the mornings, I, I guess I'm slightly better maybe at night. I get, I don't know, something about the day, I just get energized by the entire day, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I well, I don't know, I, I guess it's different, right? It's different personalities, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it works out, though, for us, so. You are in uh, Berlin. I mean, like, what's what's that like? Uh, I don't know. You're just sitting there in the morning. I imagine, like, the birds are chirping. You know, I watched this one uh, Swift Talk video. It was, like, one of the first ones, and it was, like, all these birds. And I was like, wow, that sounds really beautiful. So I imagine you're, like, sitting, drinking your coffee, and the birds are chirping, and you're in Berlin. And I've heard amazing things about Berlin uh, lately, actually. So what's it like? Well, it's um, today. It's not really like you like you <laughs> described, unfortunately. So Berlin has these really nice summers, and 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 also springtime and and autumn can be quite nice, but uh, the winters are pretty harsh, and um, it's sort of grayish. It's drizzling. Uh, it was raining all day yesterday, but I still I really like being here. Berlin is a very um, in compared to like a really big city, it's it's tiny. It's only three million people, but uh, the space is huge. So there's a lot of space in Berlin for mm, like both both physical space and mental space. So you can b really be who you want to be or do what you want to do. People don't care too much, especially if you're like me um, and a foreigner. I just moved here a while ago, um, so I don't know. I, I just really like it. Where did you move from? Uh, from the Netherlands. That's where I grew up and where I lived most of my life. And um, but now I sort of identify almost uh, as German, uh, and people call me German all the time. And I'm not sure. Like if part of me likes it, and part of me is a bit upset by it. So you're from the Netherlands. Okay. So I have a f I have family in Amsterdam. Actually, uh, my aunt is like an art teacher, and my cousins are like famous Dutch rappers. They have this like Dutch rap group called THC, which stands for Ton Doip 
Hustler Click or something like that. Uh-huh. I swear. <laughs> it's like Dutch gangster rap. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So I wondered about that because, um, you know, I've been watching the Swift Talk thing. And then I'm like, I mean, I heard about you, but then I was like, okay, you know, Swift Talk, this is like pretty interesting. I check it out. I'm like, wow. Like uh, the guy Florian, I think you, his name is. You yeah. guys do those together. I'm like, wow, these are like these just like Swift, like geniuses in like Berlin. Oh, he lives in Berlin. Like, why is he in Berlin? Did is he born there? Is he grew up there? So okay, you're from the Netherlands. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so Florian, he actually moved to, uh, or he, uh, sorry, I moved to Berlin. Florian actually grew up in Berlin, and he's, um, it's his backyard where some of the some of the Swift Talk episodes were shot, and uh, he's like a, a, a real native, so that helps sometimes. Wow, wow. Well, I got to be honest. Um, you know, watching those videos and just I don't know that one like scene. It was so beautiful. Got really excited, especially what you were talking about. I think it was the the loading view controllers um, episode. It's like one of the first ones. I think it's like the second or the third. Yeah. Um, and I would tell my fiance, Lucy, like, man, you know, these are these like swift geniuses and they're living in Berlin. And as I said, I have a lot of friends who were in Berlin recently telling me how amazing it is there. And I'm like, imagine to go there and like hang out with these guys and like mix, you know, type swift, like code swift, like <laughs> That'd be so cool. So I don't know. Maybe one of these days I'm gonna I'm gonna end up over there and we're gonna be hanging out. Yeah, you should. It's really easy to get to, and um, um, it's also it's a really affordable city. So, you know, like things are not that expensive. You can get a, a decent meal for not too much money, and uh, housing has become a bit more expensive in in contrast to a few years ago. But it's still compared to all over the world and compared to like a. a like a big city, it's it's very cheap still. And I think the tech scene's pretty good out there. I mean, you have at least like the bigger company I know of is SoundCloud. But then one of my friends is like the leader of some like tech incubator out there. I can't remember what it's called. His name's Leon Kirchhoff, I believe. Uh-huh. And uh, so how, are you familiar at all with like the startup scene or tech scene? How is it out there? Yeah, well... I don't know. It's th- there's a lot of stuff going on, but uh, I guess it's the same. I've never really lived in the valley, or or anywhere else. Like Silicon Valley, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So me neither. I I imagine that it's the same everywhere. Sort of, you know, like Berlin is definitely a smaller scale than Silicon Valley, but there's a lot of there's a couple of really good startups, and and there's also a lot of things where I don't really know how to if it's going to be good or not but you know like at least you know people are trying and 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 um uh and you know it's 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 sort of a bit hard to gauge what's going on exactly but there are a lot of startups and and it's changing also in the in the cafes where i go like now these days people are speaking more english and you'll you'll hear them talk about json or servers or and that that didn't used to be the case a few years back. So I think, you know, things are changing. So it sounds like maybe you're more focused on like the work that you're doing as opposed to like getting involved with the tech and startup scene. And like, uh, I, I didn't really know that. I didn't know that you just focused on objective CIO. Like, um, so that so that's what you're doing, right? Like, tell us what you're up to. Because for some reason, I thought like, Maybe you do that stuff on the side and maybe you work for like a, a company or, or doing iOS development. But like um, so you you focus on your content. You focus on creating this amazing content for for people like me and, and everyone else out there. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so I'm not a developer. I'm a content creator. No, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> no, so so it's 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 true. So what happened? Um, I guess at the beginning of this year, um, Florian and me sat together, and we were still doing a couple of different things, and um, uh, we were making this app called Dexset, and we were making an app called Scenery, and then also um, writing these books. And then at the beginning of the year, we said like, let's try to do one thing right instead of doing too many things at once. And um, instead of that one thing being a single book, <laughs> it was a couple of things. So it's uh, we write the books and we write uh, we make Swift Talk and um, sometimes we organize a workshop. Uh, like we're we're just organizing one in Berlin, um, and yeah, that's basically our full time gig now. So um, you know, compared to contracting, what I used to do before. It doesn't pay as well, but you know I get all the freedom, and and I really like what I'm doing, and you know, um, I'm happy to take that pay cut and 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 just do what I love, and don't really, you know, I don't really have a boss or or deadlines, um, so yeah, it's it's been pretty amazing. So for those that might not know. Uh, Chris is the founder of ObjectiveC.io. That's spelled spell it for me, Chris. Yeah, that's ObjectiveC.io. Yeah. How's that? How's it spelled? Objc.io. Okay. And so, for those that uh, might not know, pretty um, famous, uh, you know, content site. Uh, you had the issues right for a while. Um, yeah. When did you guys fi- uh, found it? Or when was it founded? Yeah. So. Um about four years or five years ago, I uh, when I just moved to Berlin, I wanted to go to this conference or I wanted to go to a conference in Berlin on, on iOS development and there was none. And uh, I was pretty frustrated. So um, sometimes I managed to turn my frustration or my, my, my anger even into, into something very productive. Uh, and, and that happened this time. So there was no conference for iOS developers except one in German, and I really didn't want to go to a German conference. So, <laughs> yeah. Because um, well, you didn't maybe didn't speak the language or something. Well, not well enough. And I, I wanted to see international speakers and not like just German speakers. It ah, just, okay. It just had this, this, this bad image for me. I don't know. So I, I managed to convince two guys to, to organize it with me. And um, we started organizing, and in the beginning, everybody was always asking, or, or at least some people were asking, are they going to be able to pull it off? And w- we didn't really know, right? Like, organizing a conference can be very expensive, and that's we wanted to do, like, a, a commercial one. And um, so, uh, long story short, in the end, we pulled it off, and it was super nice, and there were some really cool people there. And uh, the day after the conference, we organized a hack day, and everybody was out. Uh, everybody was sitting inside hacking, and we were sitting outside in the sun. Um, and we is um, Florian and Daniel and me, and um, Pete Steinberger was also there. And we were just chilling out in the sun and, and chatting a bit. And then Daniel and Florian and me wanted to came up with this idea to to start a blog. And uh, we started thinking about this, and then. The next week, I managed to convince them we're not going to start a blog. We're going to do a magazine, and uh, this is what became Objective.io. And we were really lucky because it was all about the people that were involved. So um, Florian and me had a lot of time on our hands, and I was 
a bit experience with iOS, but not too much. Florian was basically inexperienced. And Daniel, however, had worked at Apple before. So he knew basically everything, and at least that's what it looked like to me. And then he also knew uh, Natalie, who's our copy editor. And because none of us are native speakers, um, having a copy editor for the articles that we wrote mm, made them that much better. And then I knew this guy, Yurian, who was doing the design of the site. And then, you know, it all came together and it was sort of um, uh, a lucky accident, you know. Like, we put in a lot of hard work writing the articles. And um, especially with my article and with Florian's article, Daniel came back and said, look, no, 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 that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned a lot from, from him and um, and, you know, be, we had some time on our hands to do this right so um yeah we we started writing and started publishing and and people really liked it and we were sort of blown away by the response and then we were like oh shit now we have to do it again and again and um, <laughs> and you know this those two years where we published an, an issue every month i i was learning so much because um the first issue sort of we set a high standard because we had a lot of time and we didn't only set this externally, but also for ourselves. And then, you know, after that we were like, okay, so now we have to write about graphics. So we really have to find out how this stuff works. And, you know, having this, this outlet where I could write and where I needed to investigate, I was just learning so much every day. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a really good thing for, for me and I think for the community and, we were really lucky to have all these guest writers, all these famous people um, who would just say, yes, uh, I'll write for you. And um, yeah. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that uh, Objective-C.io started with this conference and then you went into the issues. And I'll be honest, I haven't read that many of the issues. Uh, I got into iOS development within, let's say, the last like two, two and a half years or something, but I definitely have read some of them. And the quality of these, of this content of, of these issues, it's, it's probably the, the best, like in, you know, investigative type of like, it's a mix between uh, like investigation and like research almost, you know, like, yeah, like research and investigating, but also like you're uh, experimenting it's there's sometimes like a little tutorial in there I mean again I haven't seen all of them but it's like the highest caliber really from from what I've seen like only a, one other person I would say besides Apple's documentation uh, I, I saw is doing this type of stuff and it was like uh, Nate Cook and the NS hipster stuff mm, yeah I feel like was like I mean, obviously yours were more issues like long form multiple you know things in in each issue whereas he would do like one you know one article but like yeah amazing content i didn't know it got started with a conference okay so objective c.io it was these uh online magazines and how long did you guys how many issues how long did you guys do that for yeah so we did 24 issues and then um so that's two years and then wow at some point, you know, it was it was enough because it's a lot of work, and especially working with external contributors. Um, wow. You know, like we we always needed to make sure people would meet their deadlines, and then we needed to manage the copy editing process and and everything. And it was really worth it, but it was also a lot of work. And um, yeah, so so it, at some point we we decided like let's do something. 
let's take a break for now and and write a book <laughs> about Swift. Um, right. Oh my god, I totally forgot. Okay, and I want to get into like specifically about all this stuff. But okay, so now uh, Chris and 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 team, I'm assuming it's like a, a few of you at least. Like, so you guys do these books now, the um, Advanced Swift, Functional Swift, Core Data. Maybe there's others, and then you're also doing Swift Talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you know you're a, you're a conference speaker, so you go around and you and you speak at all these conferences. So I just kind of want to throw it out there for those that might not know who who Chris is. I'm sure many of the listeners do know, but just in case you don't, I just wanted to kind of put it out there. Um, okay, and I want to get into all that stuff specifically, but one of the most important things um, to talk about, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on, is to get to learn more about you, your story how you got to where you are. And we learned a little bit about it already, but I want to I want to back up and I want to go even further to the beginning. So, uh, where were, you know, where are you from? You said you're from Netherlands, like were were you born there and like what how did you get into programming? And did you go to high school and like and program and learn there or how, how did you get into programming? Yeah, it's Ta- take uh, us to the beginning of Chris. I I think I was about 12 years old when I when I really started to get into programming. And um, this was when we just got our first computer. And yeah, this was just before high school, or maybe at the start of high school, um, at least the Dutch high school, that is. And, um, and I, I, my friend was doing these, these batch scripts, you know, on Windows. And uh, they would, every time he would boot his computer, it would show a, di- show a different image. Uh, rather than the standard Windows uh, booting image. So, you know, that was sort of one of the first things I wanted to replicate. And um, and I wrote a batch script that did that. And I also remember being really excited about being able to to print um, colored strings on the, on the DOS terminal uh, in batch scripts once I figured that out. And... Um, What's a batch script? Yeah, it's like sort of like, like a bash script. No, it's a b b a t c h, batch. Yeah, it's it's sort of like a shell script, but um, for Windows or uh, okay. for, for for DOS, MS DOS. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a long time ago. Wait, so when you saw your friend's desktop, the the screen, the background image of the desktop changing. Like, how did you, did you be like, were you just like, hey, how are you doing that? Or did you already know that he was like a coder? Or how did that happen? Um, yeah, I, I guess I asked him and then he showed me and then I tried to figure it out by myself. And um, Did I w- you already know like programming at that point? Or no, not just- at all. I had no oh, So that was like your first, that was your first like real exploration into it then. Yeah, yeah. And um and yeah, I, I started figuring that out. And then at some point he showed me, the same guy, he showed me um, Delphi, which was... Delphi. Or Delphi, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it, yeah, actually at that time I was reading all about these programming things and I had no idea how to pronounce things because, you know, English is not my native language. So I, I was doing Delphi, um, but calling it Delphi. I was uh, maybe uh, it is Delphi, but my my pair, my programming pair uh, at, at Farmers, Nathan. Shout out to Nathan. Uh, he uh, worked with Delphi, so that's yeah, yeah, how yeah, I probably. I only know about it because of that. So yeah, uh, yeah, I was I was writing uh, parameters instead of parameters, um, 
uh, what else? I, I had uh, RTV also had a, a remote control instead of a remote <laughs> control. You know, I, I had no clue. So anyway, I, I started doing uh, Delphi and um, writing little Windows apps and uh, I really enjoyed it. And it's sort of this, this um, for me, it was also a way to get away from the real world a little bit, you know, um, when you're when you're programming a computer you have this world that you can fully control and and um you can you can try and and experiment and it's sort of also a little bit like lego you know where you're just building these things and um uh, yeah at some point uh, just like with lego things get out of hand and you don't really have the overview <laughs> anymore but uh i was doing that for for quite a while and then at some point uh PHP came along. So this was PHP 1 or 2, I think. And um, with PHP, you could write these dynamic websites, which was completely new at that time. Like before that, everybody would mostly write HTML websites. And um, I was actually listening to, to the episode with Ash Furrow. Um, and there, Ash said that he would print all these binders full of tutorials and I did exactly the same thing. At that time, I wasn't really allowed to browse the internet at home and so I would secretly uh, dial up to the internet, find PHP tutorials in Dutch and print them all out and um, and then later on I would I would actually do those tutorials and, and learn and I would make um, dynamic websites and you know everybody was building content management systems at that time and I was learning, uh, there were these buzzwords about model view controller and it took me years to figure out what it actually meant. Um, it was it was a time where I was learning a lot, not understanding too much, but, but the most important thing is I was having a lot of fun trying to figure this stuff out. And, you know, it was sort of a safe environment because I was doing it during high school. I didn't really have uh, deadlines or whatever. I was just doing it for the fun of it. Yeah. So did you end up uh, continuing it in high school? Did you do it in college? Did you get a computer science degree or anything like that? Yeah, I did it in, in high school. And then at some point at the end of high school, I even had some, some jobs. So I would, I would um, make basically websites for the entire village. I grew up in a small village. And, oh, wow. Uh, what, what's it called? Do you mind telling? Yeah, it's called Danekamp. It's in Danekamp. Yeah, it's very close to the German border. So it's basically next to the German border in the Netherlands. Wow. Um, and when you say a small village, like a hundred people, a thousand people? I think uh, maybe, yeah, over a thousand. It's sort of hard okay. to guess for me now. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. It was big okay, at the time for me. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you grew up in this, uh, in Danekampf? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, I was making all these websites for, for... For the whole village. For the whole village, yeah, basically. That's so cool. I was working for a boss, and he was like the computer guy, one of the two computer guys of the village, and um, uh, I was making these websites, and it was a what lot of fun. What were some of the websites? Um, like the village baker, the village... Uh, yeah, it was like butcher. a butcher. Cle well, yeah, a cleaning company. And I remember uh, there was like a trucking company, like, you know, a long haul trucking company. And um, they they had this like 3D image of one of their trucks and I, and they wanted it to, to sort of 
drive through the screen. So, you know, I had to animate <laughs> like this, this picture of a truck, which was a perspective picture and uh -huh. animate it through the website. And, and it, it looked like shit, but they loved it. <laughs> yeah. It oh, was really fun. so good. Yeah. Were you just, was it just you and the boss or was there anyone else? Yeah, my, my boss didn't really know how to do the website stuff. So it was just me doing the website stuff. And um, and my boss was doing more sort of PC assembly. And um, yeah, I, I, I on the weekends, I would... Um, I would go with all my earned money and, and uh, bike over to Germany on my little bike and I'd spent all my money on CDs and I recently found back a crate of CDs that I bought at the time and it was such a waste of money. I mean, I enjoyed it a little bit, but you know, I was spending way much, I, like all my money and way too much money on, on buying crap that I didn't need. Do you, do you remember the first CD you bought? Uh, I think it was some... The very, very first CD I bought was before that it was some kind of synthesizer uh, top 100 because I think it, I got like a four, it was like a four CD box and I got it for the price of one CD. So, you know, it was, nice. a, it was a good deal. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, so was this after high school that you were working for this guy building the websites? No, this was during high school and then after high school I... Um, I, I sort of had to decide what I wanted to do and I, I, I didn't really want to do computer science because I thought like if I would do computer science, I'm already doing programming. So, you know, what can I possibly learn? And um, I thought it would be maybe too much of a good thing. And I tried to, um, for a year, I studied uh, cognitive artificial intelligence. So this was... wow. Yeah, it sounds really complicated and it was uh, it was sort of like psychology and logics and philosophy and computer science and um, language science. And then after a year, I sort of was a little bit bored and I started doing computer science on the side. And then I realized very quickly that I could learn a lot at computer science. I didn't know that much Um I just thought I was good at programming, but there was so much to learn. And I really enjoyed computer science way more than um, than this artificial intelligence thing. So I dropped artificial intelligence and just started doing computer science. And it was sort of one of the first times where I, um, where I really learned, and this happened many times after, where I really learned that there is still so much to learn. So anytime when... You know, when when I think, you know, I, I know everything, then it's usually is sort of an indication that I have to look a bit further and start learning new things. And um, because you're never done learning. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really important thing to point out. I mean, and it's great to hear hear you say that. I mean, so, for instance, me like looking at you thinking, wow, how advanced you are in, in for instance, Swift or iOS but I'm sure there's things that you still uh, want to learn. And that's something I try to tell all my meetup members is like, don't worry about learning everything. You do not need to learn everything. Not The best programmer in the world does not know everything. No. Um, they always need to learn something new or if they don't know something, they just look it up, right? And we don't need to know everything as, as programmers, especially iOS developers. Like We just need to know how to learn those things, I think is, is something I always like to stress. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's also yeah, it it well, like you said, it's impossible to learn everything and 
I think the more I learn, the more I also realize what I don't know and, you know, uh, my weaknesses and um, some of them I can learn and some of them I I'm I will probably never learn and that's also fine. And um, yeah, and, and, and people who think they know everything, they've probably plateaued and they need to move on. At least that's what happened for me every time I thought I knew everything. Like before I started Objective-C, I, Objective-C.io, I, I thought I sort of knew everything there was to know about iOS programming. And I was so wrong. Like I learned so much um, in the two years after starting it. And um, yeah, and I guess Sorry. people are no, different. People are different that way. Some people think... Uh, like I, I tend to be self-confident and think, oh, I know. Or at least when it comes to programming, I tend to be self-confident and think, you know, oh, I know everything uh, there is to know. Um, and then other people might know exactly the same amount, and they might think, oh, I don't know anything. And you know, like it's 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 not too important um, what you know. I think it's all about having fun and and trying to keep improving and. You know, and in the end, it's all about making things. You know, nobody right. cares how good your Swift code is. Like, I think uh, for me, the most important thing is making something that people want to use and that makes people's lives useful, or uh, at least that that gives you pleasure um, making it. And you know, you can take a lot of um, or uh, being really good at your craft can bring a lot of joy. But um, even if you know you're not too good at it yet, it's it's fine, and and it can still bring a lot of joy. And you know, in the end, if you make uh, if you if you make a really good app, and the code is shitty, that's that's fine. That's way more important than writing really good code in an app that nobody wants. Right, right. Okay, so I want to ask you when you were you know you were sort of you were thinking about doing computer science, but then you were like, let me try this other thing. Uh, what was, was anyone around you, let's say your family or friends, like what were they saying? Were they involved at all? Were they trying to get you to do something else? Were they encouraging you to do computer science? Do you remember that at all? Um, I, yeah. So at least growing up, my, my, um, family didn't really like uh, that I was spending so much time at the computer. They didn't really, um, uh, they thought it was sort of wasted time and, uh, so it, it was really a decision that I had to make. And um, uh, at the same time, they sort of supported me, but they were like, yeah, I, 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 I don't really know. Like, and my f- I didn't really have too many programmer friends, like uh, some, but, uh, but it was sort of loose friends. And um, yeah, it was just me making that decision. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't really remember everything. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, some people, you know, they have their their parents or their significant other or their friends telling them to do one thing. And, and you know, they might kind of have a feeling just like you did where you had to make that decision for yourself. And that that was me. You know, I had to sort of make that decision for myself and say, hey, this is what I love to do. I have to I have to go for it and, and see where it takes me. Yeah. Um, so so I want to learn um, how then you went from PHP and then what was in between eventually you got to ios like was there anything in between and and what happened how did that how did did you make that transition yeah so 
I was doing these PHP things and then um, uh, it was it was fun and and I was making things, but it was also PHP felt a little bit dirty to me, uh, but I didn't really know why and 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 it sort of got a bit messy sometimes um, and probably there was at least as much uh, <laughs> about me as about PHP. Um, so at some point. Uh, when I was studying, I, I got a couple of friends, and one of them, Ilko, he later became my co-founder. Um, and Ilko once told me about this new thing called um, Ruby and, and this framework called Rails, and I had not really heard about it. And it it did Ajax, which was the, the hip new thing at that time. Um, and I started exploring that, and, and it was really exciting. It was... You know, it was so it was very beautiful and it was very uh, magical. And uh, I started making some websites with it and uh, just for fun for myself. And 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 it did sort of all the things right. And um, I didn't really feel that I could use it at that time. So I went back to my my job doing PHP. And this was like a student job. And um, and then at some point. Uh, in university, when I was doing my master's, I started doing a lot of Haskell, this functional language, and we we were very lucky. Like during our master's, we had this group of I think five, six people um, who were always challenging each other, and we were always investigating Haskell. And it was sort of like a slightly competitive atmosphere, but in a really good way. Um, everybody was having a lot of fun and learning a lot, and sort of just pushing each other a little bit, not too much because that would have been probably a bad thing, but we had this sort of this peer group investigating Haskell and I, I was learning so much about functional programming and about uh, about Haskell itself and, and, and type systems and uh, it was really, really fun. And at the same time, when I was doing Haskell and writing my thesis, I I was making my money writing iOS. So... This was just at the very beginning also of iOS. So iOS 2 came out and we started making apps. And back then it was Objective-C and we had to write a lot of retain and release and do manual memory management or semi-manual. And um, this was both a lot of fun and very frustrating for me because I'd sort of seen the light with Haskell and yet at the same time as I was writing Objective-C to make money and um, it was a very... Yeah, it was a very frustrating experience and it took me a while to get over that. Was this in college? Yeah, this was the last years of college. And then um, when I handed in my thesis, my master's thesis, I um, so my professor told me like, yeah, you know, it's nice, but um, if you want to get a good grade, you have to rewrite it from scratch. And this was after I thought I was done. And wow. I... I was very like at that time I w- things weren't going too well with me and I was sort of like I didn't really I couldn't rewrite it at least I thought so I let it be and and it made me very sad and then um at What the was your thesis on? It was on web programming with Haskell it was about a web framework in Haskell. Yeah. And I um at the same time like I was I was also very um sad about doing iOS programming so I quit the company I founded and I was sort of burned out for a few years and it took me quite a while to to um, 
to get back out of that. But, you know, like at the end, I'm really happy that I took the time to get over it and um, and sort of re-find the joy for programming. Like it was gone for, for about a year and a half because I was sort of, I wanted to do Haskell, but then I was doing iOS and I didn't really know how to make money with Haskell and um, I didn't really like doing iOS and yeah, it was it was a very tough time, but at the end, um, once I started finding back the joy, it I think I'm 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 happy that I went through that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So uh, I just want to I want to talk about a couple of things. So did you have to rewrite the thesis or no? I just handed it in and and got like um, a good enough grade. It wasn't that bad the grade, but I wanted to 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 graduate with honors and I didn't. Oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> okay, so Haskell. Um, I don't know that much about it, but I have heard it's uh, it's a, a functional functional language, or it favors functional style programming. Yeah, it's it's one of the most extreme languages I've worked in, and it's it really is. You have to do functional programming, and yeah, it's it's all about writing pure code with no side effects and this sort of stuff is enforced by the type system. I don't know. It's it like it would take me a long time to really get into it uh, and, and explain it well. But if you if you want to sort of bend your mind and, and, and learn new stuff, I, I would really recommend having a look at it and playing with it. And um, yeah, I mean, I've done a, just a little bit of uh, functional with Swift. So and I've, I've heard of Haskell uh, because, you know, people talk about it like when they say oh func like swift functional swift and then they mention haskell so i've heard a little bit about it i'm definitely all linked to it in the show notes and maybe one of these days i'll look into it um okay so you're doing haskell you're really enjoying this functional stuff but you're doing ios to make money how did you get into ios though um at the beginning when when ios 2 came out like ios 2 was out for like a month or two maybe and then we wanted to have a look into it because, you know, for the first time we could write apps. So we, we started writing this game, uh, like a little game. And uh, it was really strange, the syntax of Objective-C with all the square brackets and, you know, <laughs> nothing like I've ever seen. And, and all this memory management, I was very unsure if I was doing it right. And um, we started making this game and, and we, we put it on the App Store. And I remember thinking at that time, you know, this was iOS too. So I, I was thinking like, oh my God, like we're way too late. Like all the apps have been made already. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I thought, you know, we were sort of over the curve, you know, like like all the good apps have been made. So, you know, like, well, okay, we'll, we'll just release this game, but whatever, right? Like we're too late anyway. And, um, you know, this is years ago. And yeah. yeah. We uh, we released the uh, the game and we made enough money to go bowling, basically <laughs> twice. Um, <laughs> like that's like sort of all of our income from the game. But what happened is really interesting. Like people started calling us um, because we also we wrote a little bit about this on Twitter, which was also very new at the time. And then some of the people we knew started calling us and they 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 they'd say like, yeah, we need an app and. Um, uh, can you build an app? And we, we were like, no, we don't know how to build an app. We just made this one game, but we basically have no clue. And um, so we were very unsure about our skills. But then, you know, they were like, no, yeah, actually, we, 
we, we need that app. So just build it. We don't care if you don't think you can do it. Just do it. Wow. So we were sort of basically almost forced by the market. Uh, and we started writing uh, apps for people. And um, yeah, so that sort of started the consulting thing for me. And there was this huge demand and people really needed apps and, and nobody really knew what they were doing. Um, and we started making apps and then one of them was a white label app for all the newspapers in the Netherlands. And um, uh, yeah, we, we, we managed to basically build the apps of almost all the Dutch newspapers and some other European ones. And um, yeah, it was, it was really fun and really exciting. And uh yeah, it's sort of it's it sort of happened sort of by accident by you know just starting to play around and then letting people know a little bit, and then um, all of a sudden we were in business. Wow. Okay. So then you're doing Haskell because you're really interested in this functional stuff. You're doing iOS development to make money, uh, and then and then after how, how many years you stop because you're sort of bummed. How, how many years did you do it for? Uh, I don't know exactly. A few years. Um, okay, so then you stop because you're kind of I don't know. You're you're bummed out because you kind of want to do this other thing, right? You want to do this like you're really excited about this like functional thing, and then like what happened? How did you? You said in the end, um, you know everything kind of worked out. I mean, I guess here you are now. Like so, what ha- what happened? Like how did that transition um, happen? Yeah. So. I, I sort of had these golden handcuffs with iOS because I was making good money, but I didn't really want to do it. And um, yeah, it took me... Uh, so I, I, because I, uh, I was still sort of in the student mindset and, and, and had very low spending and had a little bit of money saved from making iOS apps, I had the time to do nothing for a while and or uh, very little. And I would... I, I moved to Berlin. I started uh, reading a lot uh, again and playing the guitar and running. So oh. I wasn't really doing anything. What I should have done, by the way, if anybody struggles with this, what I should have done in hindsight is get therapy, psychotherapy, to deal with my burnout and depression. Um, I see. But um, I just took the time and things started getting better. And um, then at some point I was doing, I was starting to run out of money in Berlin, uh, and uh, I was, uh, I sent an email to to um, to our local Cocoa Hatch chapter, which is sort of this iOS meetup, and I sent an email saying, "Hey, I'm new to Berlin and I'm looking for gigs. Um, does anybody need any contracting help?" And I I, I got a few replies and um, a few small gigs, and then. There was a somebody who wrote to the to the to the mailing list saying like, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm looking for an iOS developer for like a longer projects, maybe half a year at least." And I immediately replied because I was like, "Oh yeah, this sounds uh, this sounds like something for me." I, and in the back of my head, I had like, "Oh, this will solve my, at least my my direct money problems, right?" Or I didn't really have problems yet, but. Uh, I was like, okay, if I can work for half a year, at least I can make good money, and you know, don't I don't have to worry about that. So, I met up with this guy in a cafe, and uh, we started talking. And it turns out he was also really into running, and uh, he had this this Dutch company. Uh, this was a German guy. He had a Dutch company with two guys, um, and they were doing elite sports management, and they were all themselves a lot like into sports and. 
it just really clicked. And and normally these these kind of coffee meetings with a potential client take like maybe like half an hour usually. And, and we sat in this cafe for three hours talking about running and about programming and about basically all everything. So um, they became my clients and I started working with them. And so this guy that was Florian, um, so we started working together, pair programming, and he didn't, he was a programmer, but he didn't know any iOS. And we were sitting next to each other every day writing iOS code and he was learning really fast and he was always asking these very critical questions. Why is it like that? And I would usually answer with, well, that's just the way we do it on iOS. <laughs> you know, and then the next morning, like he came back and he's like, yeah, actually I looked it up last night and uh, can't we do it this way? And so I was learning from this, basically this total beginner, at least, uh, you know, on iOS, uh, who was thinking critically and that also really gave me a lot of joy like to be learning again and to be working with somebody else and um yeah so we started working together a lot and then uh, when i organized the conference uh this was at the same time then we had this anonymous call for proposals and uh after we looked at the proposals and you know after all the votes were cast it turned out that florian had submitted a proposal and he was actually the top voted one. So oh, wow. I was also very surprised by that. And, and, and he went on to speak at my conference. And um, that's when we founded Objective-C.io. And basically, we've been working together ever since. Um, and uh, wow. yeah, so that also wow. gave me a lot of joy back. Yeah, oh man, that's such a great story. There was a lot in there, but there was one piece, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, meetups will change your life. So if you are, you know, if you, whatever it is, whatever your goals are in, in your Swift, you know, your iOS, your Swift coding journey, definitely go to the, uh, go to your local meetup. It will change your life. If you want to meet people, if you want a job or whatever it is, um, it sounds like it definitely affected you positively. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there are many levels to it, right? Like if you, if you're uh, unsure, you can just go there and, and talk and try to talk with people because I've noticed that the iOS community and, and generally the programming community is often very friendly and people want to help you. And even if you're an absolute beginner, people want to help you. Um, and uh, once you, if, if there is no meetup, you can even try to start one yourself. So this is also, it brought me a lot of things, you know, starting my own conferences and, and organizing my own events. It's, it's really good. And, and, if you're more comfortable, like speaking at a meetup is also something that can really change your life um, and can bring a lot of joy. Even if, if there aren't that many people that show up to the meetup, if you, if you give a talk about something, you're sort of, you, you're forced to figure things out, you know, what you're talking about and you'll notice that you learn a lot. So that's sort of my main st strategy of learning new things these days is to give talks and write books uh, because it forces me to, to really investigate things. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, so how did Swift come into play? You're doing Objective-C.io, you're doing iOS development, but that's all Objective-C. When does Swift kind of come into play? Uh, obviously, you know, it comes out June uh, 2014. Did you like drop everything you were doing with Objective-C and, and jump right on it. Can you take us to that kind of time and, and tell us 
what you ended up doing? How did you get to where Absolutely. you are now? Yeah, so so um, I wanted to... So this Swift came out when I was sort of doing Objective-C.io for a while. So I sort of ma made a little bit of a name in the community and, and I, I wanted to go to WWDC. I'd never been. So uh, I didn't get tickets, though, in the lottery. I was hoping that maybe Apple would, you know be nice to some of the people who are visible in the community and sort of invite me, but or at least make sure that I was able to buy a ticket, but I wasn't. So I uh, instead I went on a holiday with my friend and we were hiking in the Polish mountains. So we were wow. up there in this mountain hut and then there was the, um, the, the keynote. And, uh, you know, it was hardly... Uh, the, the internet connection was really, really bad. But I managed to get like one bar of Wi-Fi and I was sitting on the stairs in this Polish mountain hut hiking with my uh, hiking with my friend or tired from the hiking actually and um, I was um, watching the Mac Rumors live stream on Twitter because you know text is easier and that worked through the to the, to the connection so I was watching Mac Rumors and then all of a sudden like I heard about Swift and I was like, oh. what? Apple did a programming language. And I was really hoping they would do something like Smalltalk maybe or, you know, something object-oriented. But I didn't even dare to hope for, for something um, that was more sort of in, in, in the spirit of Haskell and functional language. I, I, I had given up my hopes already. And, and then, you know, Apple announced Swift and they were like, yeah, you can get this ebook, and it's available today. So I immediately got the ebook on my iPhone <laughs> And I started reading, and, and I was still, you know, on the trip with my friend. And I started reading, and I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, we can do functional programming now, and we can do all the cool stuff." And finally, you know, yeah, it was really like, and I, I, I couldn't sleep actually that night. And I, you know, when I was a little kid, sometimes I had this with technology that you know something got me excited so much that I, that I couldn't sleep. But you know, as an adult, never. And this was one of the first times where I had a hard time falling asleep and I was just imagining everything we could do. And um, I got back from my trip and, and my friend still complains about this today. Like, <laughs> you know, like he was spending one more day with me in Berlin. And basically that day I, 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 I was figuring out all the Swift stuff instead of hanging out with him. I feel bad about it, but uh, I, I realized like we could do all this functional stuff and, you know, I... I didn't really know what things were going to be like, but I managed to convince uh, Florian and also uh, a friend from back in university, Wouter, who was a professor at, at the university. I managed to convince the two of them to write Functional Swift with me. And we basically started within a few days and started writing it. And um, yeah, wow. yeah, it was really, wow. really fun. I can see you now, like snuggled up into the fire near the fire in this Polish hut, like reading the Swift book on your phone with like this giant smile on your face. Yeah, Man, it's so great. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, and and it's 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 been really great. Like I'm really happy that Swift went this way, and um, you know, like now I think you know Swift is not a functional language per se, like. It's and that was also not my goal with the book to tell people like now we have to do functional programming, but it you know it it opens up the possibility to do it and sometimes it can be very nice to do functional programming or, you know it can be it it leads to different solutions for a problem, and um, yeah I was yeah. I was really happy that all of a sudden we had the possibility to do it because in Objective C it was quite hard to to do things functionally and now 
we can do it. We don't really have to, but um, I like doing it. Yeah. Is it hard or is it easy to explain why you couldn't really do it with Objective-C and what it is about Swift that makes it easier or, or, or possible to do functional? Is that easy or hard to explain? Yes. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's easy to explain. Okay, At what least, is it exactly? Yeah, so it's... Because I don't know that much about Objective-C. So I think a lot of functional programming... Well... It, Functional programming means a lot of different things to different people. To me, it means being able to, to have a good type system, and Swift has a much better type system uh, than Objective-C, so it will help you catch errors. Like, you know, like the stuff with optionals, we didn't really have that in Objective-C, and things work differently. And another thing is being able to write small functions and, and sort of compose them. You know, like in, in, in Swift, you can say array.map.filter. Right. In Objective-C, you at some point they added blocks and you could do sort of this thing, but it was just very it didn't feel right doing that in Objective-C, and people weren't really doing it. And um, yeah, and and I think also in Swift having structs, which are sort of value types, that also really helps for functional programming. And um, in Objective-C, we also had like array, which was immutable, but yeah, it's it's sort of it's it was very different and 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 you know it was also not really the accepted style in Objective C and in Swift. I think you know we with the community we're still finding a new style of programming at least compared to Objective C. Okay, so you are you, you sort of fall in love immediately in a way with Swift and you're you're super excited and you're inspired and you're going to write this book. What do you do? How do you? start writing a book how do you write how do you sit down and write functional swift well i had no clue what i was doing i just <laughs> knew, I, I knew two things you know when i handed in my thesis my master's thesis my my professor told me yeah you're not really fit to or well he told me you're, you're good at writing blog posts but you're not really good at writing a book because oh, the thesis wow. is basically a book so that's what he told me and i wow. interpreted that as thinking I would never be good at it. I was just, I was wrong. Like, I'm, I mean, he was, he, he was right saying, I'm not really good at writing a book, but, but I learned over the years, at least, like, now I think I, I can, I can probably write a decent book. Um, but back then, you know, I was starting Functional Swift, I, knowing this, and, um, um, but on the other hand, we'd done the magazine for quite a while. Right. So, I also knew I I can write and I can write slightly longer than just blog articles, um, and I knew it was also a matter of having the right people around me. So, you know, I, I knew that I couldn't do it on my own. But you know, with Florian and Wouter, um, I think the team was really right. Wouter knew a lot about functional programming. Florian is just very critical and and um, intelligent and. I was sort of bridging between the two worlds of, of functional and iOS. Uh, Florian didn't know any functional programming, but he knew a lot about iOS at the time. So we just um, made an outline and started writing and sort of the peer pressure also really helped. And Wouter was doing this over his summer break from teaching. So he had like until September to finish it. So we knew we had to finish it by September. Um, so we just sat down and, you know, sometimes it's a good thing that you don't really know what you're, 
uh, w- what you have to expect and what you're what you're up for. So we just started doing it, and it worked out. And it was, in a way, it was the easiest book I've written. Like uh, Advanced Swift was w- way harder to get done for me. Um, How soon after Swift came out was the first version of func- uh, Functional Swift released? Well, we knew that. Um, so we had like a little bit of a name in the community with Objective C that I also. When we knew we would start writing the book and when we knew we had the outline, then we immediately released it as a, as a pre-release version. So we would sort of um, write the chapters one by one and once the chapter was sort of done-ish, we would pre-release it to people. That's so right. I remember now. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it was within weeks, basically. Wow, wow. Okay, and so functional Swift for Swift 3 is already out? Mm-hmm. It's not. No, people have been asking us about it. So the first thing we did is update Advanced Swift. And then now, literally today, um, that's what I'm working on. Um, So the... As as we are talking, like after after we hang up, I'll make breakfast and then I start <laughs> writing the update. Yeah. So basically, basically, this podcast is keeping you from finishing the book. Okay, <laughs> I get it. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so Advanced Swift uh, is out for Swift three already. You're finishing up Functional Swift right now. Uh, when would you say is it a good time for someone to pick up, let's say, Functional Swift? Um, is it something that they should, you know, wait before, you know, they get a good foundation? And, and what is that? Like, when would you say is a good time? Or is it something that you can just kind of pick up right now? Um, yeah. I, uh, so we, at, when we started writing it, we wrote it specifically for Objective-C programmers. But I think we've sort of moved beyond that now. There are definitely some references in there. But um in the beginning, our goal was to teach Objective-C programmers uh, a little bit about functional programming, and now it's a bit different. So we sort of expect that people know a bit about Swift. People know how to, you know, the syntax works and how to build basic things. It's not like a, a book for absolute beginners, but it's sort of if you if you know programming and you've written a few things, then I think anytime. After that is a, is a good time. And um, yeah, l- like I said, it's not about s- telling people that they should do functional programming. I, I, I'm not very dogmatic about it, but it's just sort of showing a different way of doing things because I think still in schools and in and, and, and many um, online tutorials, the, the focus on the focus is a lot on object-oriented programming and, and sort of procedural stuff. And I think also recently functional programming has gotten more and more important and um, it's getting popular, for example, in Swift and also in other languages. In JavaScript, a lot of stuff is functional these days. And um, so, yeah, anytime basically you're interested in it and, and you have time to play around with it a little bit, that's a good time. I feel like functional kind of has this like bad rap or something as if it's like this advanced thing, but I feel like there's a, there's a, it can be very advanced, but there's like a basic concept, which I think is valuable for anybody to understand at any level, you know, at least once they have a basic sort of understanding of programming. To me, it's just like inputs, outputs, um, no side effects and like favoring immutable state. And so, you know, you just, 
put something in and you get something back and you're not like changing. Let's like in iOS, we have all these stored properties and we'll change them in a million different places. Mm. And like, you know, functional kind of, I would say a, a basic concept of functional says like, Hey, don't do that. Like do it this other way. Would yeah. you agree? Or yeah, am I yeah. misunderstanding it? Well, so, um, so you have to look at the history to see why that, why it's like that. So, Functional programming comes a lot, or at least it's, yeah, I think a lot of it comes from maths. And math is really nice and simple and beautiful if you know it. If you don't know it, then math can, you know, can be way too terse and they use all these complicated words. And um, so functional programmers sort of came from there. And a lot of the people who were researching functional programming, they were also mathematicians or or at least they, they, they like to sound intelligent and, and use all these complicated words. And I think this is sort of what makes functional programming seem really complicated because there's all these words that we don't know, like, you know, like monads and monoids and whatever. And the thing is, behind all these difficult sounding words, there are some very simple principles and uh, that anybody can understand. Um, so... You know, like if you've ever used something like flat map on arrays or on optionals, that's basically flat map is basically a monad. I'm simplifying things a little bit, but you know. Um, and I think a lot of the concepts of functional programming, they're being made very difficult by these words. Um, at the same time, you know, it has a lot of value that people use these words, at least in the research community, because, you know, if they're researching things that have already been researched by math then you know like it's easier to just reuse that vocabulary but it's not for us programmers so yeah so functional programming it may sound very difficult in the beginning and there are definitely also some very difficult things in there but a lot of it like the most important things are they're really simple and it's all about you know writing small little functions that change one bit and don't have global side effects and once you start um, using that, I think it can clean up your code a lot and, and it doesn't have to be difficult. But if you're used to doing things the imperative way or the OO way, it will be quite difficult because, you know, you're, you're in a different mindset. And it's sort of like um, driving on the wrong side of the road, whichever <laughs> which is your... Which you did recently. Which I did recently. Yeah, it's sort of like... <laughs> You know, like that, like in the beginning, it feels very strange and you, 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 you ask yourself, why do people do it like this? But then at some point after you get a bit of practice, it sort of starts to make sense. And, you know, you can see the benefit of both. I think, you know, as a, as a functional programmer, I see why imperative programming is sometimes really nice and also the other way around. So I think, you know, it, it's sort of, yeah... It there in the end it's not too difficult, but getting to the point where it's not too difficult might take quite a while. I I definitely agree with you. It's a different mindset. And it does take some time to uh, you know to kind of flip your mind around and think a different way. But once you kind of get it, it becomes really fun. I think it's really enjoyable, especially when you combine that with uh, re like a reactive style programming. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so. Uh, functional Swift is going to be uh, for Swift 3 is going to be coming out soon. Awesome. So people, you know, check that out. But you're also doing uh, this new thing called Swift Talk. You must have, I don't know, maybe 10 episodes out now. Uh, can you tell us about like the idea behind that and how it's going? 
Yeah, and so um, I've at the conferences where I've been speaking um, over the last years, I've been doing a lot of live coding, and especially because I wanted to show people like the functional stuff. Um, and I, I noticed that live coding sort of shows people like, hey, I can do this. Um, and so some things are just easier to uh, understand when you read a book and other things are easier to understand when you see somebody do it, like, you know, tie your shoelaces. Like, I, I wouldn't want to read a book about that. Like, I just want to, <laughs> you know, luckily I know how to do it now, but... Um, uh, it's easier to watch somebody do it and, and to practice yourself. And that's sort of the idea that we had um, with the with Swift Talk. Sort of, we wanted to show videos about how we solve problems, um, or basically one specific problem, and um, and and also discuss uh, this our solutions because you know Florian and me we don't always agree uh, on how we should solve something, and so. We wanted to do that in a video format because it's sort of easier to, for people to see, like, ah, yeah, so they do it like this, and you know, um, it's in a way easier than seeing or than reading about this. Um, and so, yeah, we decided to make videos of us solving problems in Swift, and um, yeah. I I think it's really cool how you use uh, Swift Playgrounds. And I don't know, the quality is really good. I love the intro, I love the outro. Um, I've seen, I haven't seen all of them. So let's let's explain a little bit. Swift Talk is, is a subscription, right? So 10 bucks a month, you get every video. But then there's, it's almost like every other video is free or sometimes there's a free video. Yeah, so it's it's actually even cheaper. It's nine bucks a month, but yeah, same oh, nice. thing. Um, and then and then eight dollars for your every team member after that. Yeah, and then um, <laughs> so we really like um, giving things away, and and so the Objective C the magazine was always for free, and we really liked that. But also we wanted you know do high quality stuff and and do this stuff full time. So that's why we decided to give half of the videos away for free, and the other half is paid, so that you know if people become a subscriber, they they to sort of make it possible for us to do this stuff full time. So, um, yeah. yeah I've, I've seen a couple of the videos. Uh, I don't get a chance. You know, I every uh, day at lunch, I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch a video. Do I want to watch Netflix? Do I want to watch a, uh, a uh, like a tech talk video? Mm -hmm. And I usually visit Realm, you know, because they have a lot of cool videos. Yeah. And I don't know why I don't. Okay, so tomorrow I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna check out uh, your guys's next video, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta convince my company to subscribe for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I hope that. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, so no. And Realm is also really great because it's way like they have a lot more uh, breath in, in people speaking. Like Swift Talk is just Florian and me. Yeah, no, it's great that there's these resources out there. It really is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hope everything is going well with Swift Talk. I just want to say the quality and like what you guys are talking about. Like uh, the one that I watched like at least three times was the loading view controller one. I think it's a really interesting concept. I'm still trying to like get my head around this idea of like a view controller that like builds another view controller after like it loads a resource. It's like really trippy. You guys are doing like some real ninja like Swift stuff, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, well, so it's uh, so that idea specifically I got from Ayaka. So she gave a um, talk about this idea at uh, Tri Swift Japan, and um, 
we sort of, you know, copied it from her. And there's a shout out to her also in the in the video, I think. Yeah, no, I remember actually. So yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, and I think you know a lot of the Swift Talk uh, episodes. So we spend a lot of time preparing e- each single episode, right? Like, so we we build a real app and we try to put like um, an idea into into you know production or at least you know to build it into a real app and then we spend a lot of time you know practicing how we how we're going to explain this so and 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 then we have a, like a technical editor Ola who is um, who's going through everything and like telling us if something is wrong or if we could explain it differently and you know so it it might seem like ninja stuff but um like with everything there's a lot of hard work behind it yeah it's so good Okay, so you mentioned, and, and we are we are over, but if you're down to stay for a little bit longer, I do want to ask you a few more questions. I know you need to get to that functional uh, Swift book, but just no, that's a okay. few more questions yeah. if you don't mind. Um, tell us a little bit about what's it like. Um, you just mentioned Try Swift uh, Tokyo, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, I mean, you've been to a few conferences, right? Like speaking, like what's it like being, to me, it's like you're, it's like, you know, I know you're just traveling the world, like going to see, going to all these conferences, like you're going to Melbourne or something or Victoria. I am, yeah. And you just, you were in Budapest, right? Like uh, you went to the, was it Functional Swift yeah. conference? I'm going to be seeing you soon. Uh, I'm going to Swift Summit in San Francisco. What's it like? I mean, how how did that happen? What was like, yeah, how did that happen? And what's it like? I mean, you're just, oh, it's so cool. Yeah, so it, it, it started with... Um uh, when we did Objective-C.io, all of a sudden people uh, started inviting us to speak at conferences. And um, I was doing consulting, and so I had I had a bit of time, so I went out and basically said yes to as many things as I could because, you know, it's both very flattering and it's really cool to travel the world. Um, in the beginning, it was mostly Europe, but now it's sort of the world. And... Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, there's a couple of different s- sides to it. So before Objective-C.io, I always had the feeling like, oh yeah, I'm a good programmer, but, you know, people don't really see it yet or, you know, uh, whatever. And then after starting Objective-C.io and especially after speaking at conferences, people think I'm really, really good and, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm just a regular guy and, but if you prepare your presentation well, then people think you're smarter than you really are. And, um, you know, so I I noticed that there's this sort of this difference in perception. Um, before, I, th- I I had the feeling like people thought I was not as good as I am. And then now people think I'm way better than I actually am. You know, <laughs> that's that's one thing. And it's sort of interesting because it's at the same time, it's very flattering. And it's it's also it can be a bit awkward, you know, like I'm just, you know, I'm just a dude. So, um, I think for me, it's, it's like important to know that there is something approaching the right way to do things. And it's comforting to know that there might be someone out there that knows more than me about what that close to the right way is, right? Like it's an art form, Mm. right? If anyone knows the right way, maybe it's Apple, but like, it's just good to know that there's like someone out there and, and you, obviously you're not the only one, but I think maybe at least that's what it is for me. But then, you know, when you really like something, like I really like a band, 
you know, want to like, I don't know, you're just like, oh, wow, like that band, you know? And so I think that that same thing kind of applies here. Like you called it visibility. I think that's a really good, modest word for it. Like, you know, a visible character in the community, a visible person in the community. Okay, but one 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 thing I want to know is um, when when you agree to talk at a conference or, or however it works, like, do they, do you already have a topic or do they say like, hey, like, do you submit a, a topic and then they accept it? Or are they like, hey, just come talk and like figure it out. And then you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this. And then they're like, okay, that actually is cool. Like, how does that part work? Yeah. So, um, it depends a bit. So in the beginning it was definitely more sort of, um, submitting things. Although, yeah, I don't know. So I, I think for, for most people it would be, you, you would need to submit a talk and, you, you know, like make a really good case for it. And I think I get asked more because of the name, um, which is sort of, you know, again, it's flattering, but it doesn't really feel fair always, you know, but you know, on the other hand, um, yeah, if people see my name, then maybe some some people buy tickets because of that. You know, I feel Nothing weird saying wrong. that. Nothing wrong with that. But um, you know, so so conferences often just ask me if I want to talk, and then I can come up with basically anything I want. Um, That's cool. Okay, so I'm I'm never like given a a talk. I mean, I lead my meetup. You know, I lead my meetup, so I do that, right? But I've never like gone to Cocoa Heads, for instance, and given a talk. I've done some do talks it. at my work. But like I guess so I'm I'm at a point now where I feel like I'm slightly like m- more than I mean I'm I'm definitely not a beginner. Um I would say intermediate at least in the iOS and like Swift world and I feel like I can like do something like a talk. But like there's this feeling and I'm sure other people are listening and they feel this too that like whatever they might have to talk about is not that interesting or not that advanced yeah. or not that good. What would you say to something like I that? I feel like that every day. And, you know, when I'm writing my Swift books, I think like, ah, people already know this. And it's it's not about that. So um, I think I would really like to see more talks by beginners, uh, especially because you have such a different mindset and you know like the t- the things we take for granted um of, like people who've been doing things for a while are s- are so different and and like having a fresh perspective on things can really help so um there are many different talks that you can give like as a as a beginner you can you can give a talk like hey i learned um ios or i learned swift and this is what baffled me and that would be really interesting to watch even for an an, an experienced uh, swift person or ios person and you know there are also definitely talks that are very technical and maybe that's not a very good idea as a beginner but you know there are other other things you can talk about that are very interesting and um if you want to give a technical talk about something you can you can take that as an opportunity to figure out how things work that's what i always used to do so sometimes i would give a talk about something I didn't really know yet, just so that I had to learn it. Mm. That's cool. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's if you, if you feel like you want to give a talk about something, then, then do it. And probably a meetup is in, easier than at a conference. Um, yet at the same time, I also know some people who don't really want to give talks or, you know, they... They sort of like I. I have one friend, and 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 they get sort of pressured in a little bit by by their employer, and 
mm, they don't really want to do it. And, you know, like it's that's also fine. So don't feel the pressure to give talks or to write articles, you know, do whatever you whatever makes you feel comfortable or mm, rather do whatever makes you feel just a little bit uncomfortable, but not too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've already gone over, and trust me, I wish I could keep you on and we can talk uh, more and more. Uh, you and I uh, definitely will be chatting, I hope, uh, when we, when, you know, in Swift Summit. Um, but, I mean, look, there's plenty of more questions I, I would want to ask you, but I have to cut you off somewhere. And I feel like I'm keeping you, you know, and I, I don't want to keep functional Swift uh, from people. <laughs> um, so let's let's just say we'll end it here. But I have uh, one uh, one last question, kind of two. So first is uh, where can people contact you online, if at all? Yeah. So the easiest way is probably follow me on Twitter. It says Chris Eithoff. Um it's yeah, or, or or find me on objectivec.io and then you can find out how to spell my name. It's yeah, I'll link to all that stuff too. Okay, cool. And if 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 people were to ask you something, if they were to bother you on Twitter, I'm kidding. If they were to ask you anything, what what should it be? Should it be something about functional? Should it be something about advanced Swift? What what kind of questions do you like fielding? Um. Oh, I don't if know. At all. Like, I yeah. Anything as long as it's a genuine question, I'm, I'm I, I don't mind asking. Like and just ask, you know. Like if people want to ask me stuff, just you know, shoot me an email or, or send me a DM with a question or, or an ad mention or all right, um, cool, a, a fax. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fax. That's great. Man. Okay, now this really is um, the the last one. Okay, and so the the idea here is that people are out there and they want to learn. They have this like desperate feeling that they just need to learn something right now to achieve their swift goals. And um, what I try to do with this podcast is to slow all that down and say it's all good. You know, you, you're going to you're going to get there. You got to just go slow and, and take it one piece at a time. But like this is a, your opportunity to just let the listener know one piece of advice for for learning swift. Go. Yeah. So one thing that took me years to find out, I only discovered this just very recently, only a few years ago. So whenever I want to try something new, I usually, you know, I'm working on a project and I try it out in that project and that feels very messy. So my one tip would be to to um, to get into the habit of just very quickly creating a new Xcode project. Just find out the keyboard shortcut for that and try it out there or create a new playground. So you know, instead of trying out things in your project, which might become messy, just, you know, get into the habit of quickly creating some new file, trying it, uh, it out there. And if it works, Jen, you can copy it back in. Uh, great advice. I see what you're saying. So let's say you're working on your current project, your next latest and greatest app, let's say, and you have some new thing that you want to try out. Don't try it out in that project. Open it up in a separate project. Just test out this new thing. And then if it works, incorporate it that's what you're saying yeah yeah this should be like a process of like two minutes not like yeah exactly so okay just cool. do it very quickly and and test it great i love it okay chris thank you so much so so much for coming on the show today thank telling you. us about your story growing up in dump dump and kampf almost dana kampf yeah dana kampf in this little village 
you know, you were 12 and you learned how to do a batch script to like change the desktop, you know, background image on your Windows machine. And then you started playing around with Delphi and then it was PHP and you're making websites for your village uh, for this uh, car, this trucking company with the yeah. the truck that was like perspective zooming in like to you or something on the website. And then, um, you know, just following your passion, like making that decision to like stick with it and doing it through college and turning in your your thesis and doing iOS on the side, but then kind of like and falling in love with functional, but then kind of like getting burnt out a little. And like you had, it sounds like you had this like, you know, this real struggle actually, but um, you sort of, you sound like a real artist. Like you just went for it and you went to Berlin and just kind of like still just following your dreams, like not really you weren't like seeking money or something necessarily like a true artist actually like like trying to work on your craft and you're in berlin and you go to this meetup and you meet these people and it changes your life really and then you start this conference and you start objectivec.io and then um you know do two years you know one session uh, one issue a month 24 issues of like amazing work and then swift comes out and you write these swift books and now you're doing Swift Talk and you're traveling the world and you're speaking at all these conferences and you, you know, just make making yourself available to the Swift community. Um, just thank you so much. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that was very kind of you to say that. Yeah. <laughs> My pleasure. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you hopefully in uh, San Francisco for the Swift Summit. Absolutely. Yeah, it was really fun being here. Thank you for that. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.